Hi, this is Laura. And Kathy. This, this is, is the, the Tech, Tech Plus Books Pod. Where we talk tech. And books. Just a reminder, all opinions are our own. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Tech Plus Books Pod. Today, we've got Charity and Kathy and myself. We are all back together, sort of. And we wanted to continue some of the discussion that we had last episode about circulation policies and removing barriers for our students. And so we wanted to focus on creating equitable access to books and also our spaces, our library spaces. So I know that this has been a big push in your district, Kathy, about incorporating some maker spaces and some more um, maybe like idea labs into the library. And so that has gotten you thinking, especially about your scheduling and how you can support all of the students at your school. Yes, because right now, the, you know, the, there's a big push towards having flexible schedules and kind of having students and classes just, you know, come in on an as-needed basis. And um, so I've been thinking about a lot about how that will work, you know, in, in my school with my population of students. And kind of been in the back of my mind, you know, how is this going to look in reality. If I'm on a completely flexible schedule and, you know, teachers can just send students in to use the the makerspace and the materials and the centers that I have set up, in, in reality, are all students going to be sent down there on their own, use this space? Or is it going to be students who are, are ahead in their classes are, you know, is it going to be students who are performing well and have that extra time in their schedule where their teachers don't feel like they need to do interventions or, you know, get them called up? Or is everyone going to be given time when they can come down and freely explore? It's not going to be everyone. It kind of seems like sometimes those special spaces or a special program is a reward for a well-performing student, either academically and behaviorally. And that's not what we're here to provide is just a reward. We're supporting every student. And something like a makerspace or um, a coding center or even just like a, a a blackout poetry center in, in a library. Like that shouldn't be just for a kid who's completed all of their other work and shows an aptitude for that. I mean, there might be a struggling student who would really feel a spark to learn given kind of a unique opportunity that's different from a classroom. It could give them a um, boost of confidence. Yes. Which exactly. is exactly. They need to and learn. They need to feel confident. Yeah, and a lot of our kids who aren't necessarily performing well in a traditional ac academic setting, their very strength may be in, you know, building or design 
you know, they may be very creative in other ways. And so my concern is that maybe those students still wouldn't have the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Right. So, that it, yeah. That it will and, be one more service for kids who are already getting the services <laughs> and the ones who are not getting all the services are still getting the same drill and kill. Right. And I know, I mean, I am, I am in no way saying that a fixed schedule is the way to go. And mm-hmm. I am in no way saying that we shouldn't be moving more towards a flexible schedule, right. you know, but my, but I do know that right now, every student in my school has between 35 and 45 minutes of access to our makerspace every week on my fixed schedule. Well, and one of the differences I guess I could use as a comparison, you being at an elementary school and I'm at a high school, so we're already on a flexed schedule. It's very hard for me to schedule things in a way that I can hit every student. Mm -hmm. So the one way that I do hit every student is when I do my library orientation for ninth graders, and I do it in ninth grade English. But as someone was pointing out to me today, because we're block schedule, and we just started the second semester, and some of the ninth graders just started English, they're just now getting an orientation to the library mm-hmm. halfway through the school year. Right. But it is one way I can hit almost mm-hmm. every student to show them, you know, what's available in the school library to, to help them. Yeah. But I think that that is the challenge that every school librarian faces is how do we see every student and how we can provide that time, you know, if it's through open circulation on certain mornings or on certain days. But if you have a flexible schedule, how are you able to integrate and push into some classes and work with teachers and collaborate with them? It can be difficult because I think that we tend to work more with maybe English language arts teachers Mm -hmm. because people think, okay, literature and the library go together. And you were even mentioning how your certification for National Geographic is helping you to reach into those science and math classrooms as well. Yeah, and in this case, I'm working, going to be working with an earth and environmental teacher. And I'm, I'm loving it because not only am I getting to work with a science teacher instead of an English, which is most often, but also because I'm able to um, incorporate in that digital literacy mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, not just digital literacy, but, you know, media literacy and, right. and those different kind of literacies into an actual lesson. I'm not tre- teaching those in a vacuum, but it's not going to be all the kids. It's just mm-hmm. going to be those kids right. and those few earth and environmental. It's, it's funny that, that your struggle is to get into the, the non-English classes, because um, with my background being social science and social studies, that's mostly science is what I taught when I was in the classroom. When I started, I actually worked with, found it was easier for me to collaborate and work with the science classes than the ELA classes. I found that my experience is I can generally, I work a lot with social studies teachers because they don't have a state standardized test. That's funny. Not funny, but not right. funny. Ha ha. That's well, just I, well, and because I think that the perception is that they're not a tested subject 
that they they have have more flexibility with their pacing and their curriculum that um, our English language arts teachers don't feel or our math teachers don't feel. So um, my science teachers for sixth and seventh grade and my social studies teachers and also my special education teachers like to collaborate a lot more than than those tested subjects, the core subjects. At, at the school I'm at now, I have not worked with the social studies teachers yet. Really? And I'd yeah. like to because I'd like to work with them on finding primary sources mm-hmm, online mm-hmm. and um, media literacy mm-hmm. and all those kind of things. And um, I haven't worked with them yet. I'm, I'm not sure. I think probably is they don't know that they can work with me. I think I really okay. need to push it and reach out. But mostly the ELA with doing the research reports yeah. and um, how to use databases, NCYs, LLM, things like that. So when you have a fun program that you're doing, Charity, do you reach out to the, how, how do you schedule something like a fun program in the, in the library space? So again, I've only been in this school two mm-hmm. years, but um, I haven't had much luck with fun okay. programs. <laughs> like, well, when I tried to do a, um, a steam type station, uh-huh, uh-huh. It, I guess, you know, it was just most people didn't think they had time for it. Gotcha. I think is what it was. I've had more luck with the virtual reality, the Google stuff, sending that out and um, being able to show teachers what lessons are out there and having them. So it's whoever kind of responded first to your email gets it. (laughs) And so like right now I can say, Hey, I'm going to have the virtual reality here at Franklinton high school because I'm working with X teacher doing mm-hmm. this and this, and then someone else may, I haven't even put it out yet this time, but what last year, what happened was a couple other people was like, oh yeah, is there anything on this that right. I could do? And um, so we did that kind of thing. So this year I ha- I'm working with the college advisor and we're going to do um, cool. college tours. That'll be so fun. And I think that's important about accessibility. Like you're talking about Abs- accessibility spaces. We have all those kids that don't, parents can't afford to take them around to mm-hmm, look at all the schools visit. and so I think that's a nice thing you know <laughs> I think that's an excellent idea thank you for bringing it full circle for us <laughs> so what I would really like as far as for my own library and all I have been looking out for people who do have maker spaces and library programs and are elementary that are on a completely flexible schedule and I would like to visit them or at least talk with them and see how their program is addressing equitable access like is there an elementary school on a complete flexible schedule where all of the kids in the school are really getting equitable access like does it exist and I want, I want to, um, so that's, that's kind of where, where I'm going. I would like to do that in Did our transition. Follow Nikki Robertson. And I mean, now she's not teaching. She just left teaching uh, and to work for the state of Texas a few months ago. Yeah, I do but, follow her. So did you see what she was doing with her elementary when she first moved to the elementary Texas job like a year or two ago? She changed it all to centers and she would do those same centers. I mean, she's put a lot of work in setting up her centers, but they would last for like a month as all the classes came through and the kids would be at like 
I don't know, one center a time or something like that. And so by the time that the month was over, they'd rotated and got to go through all the centers. So, and that's you know, what so I do. Um, oh. That's what I do now. Like I have, my kids have been rotating through um, six centers for the past, we're almost at the end of it now. And so every kid, they come every week during their, their scheduled time. And so is I'm it one of your centers see, like, I guess what I'm trying to wrap my mind around is how is that different than being on a fixed schedule? If every class is still coming every week and doing that, how is that different than a fixed schedule? That's what I can't wrap my brain around. You're hoping that we have a person out there who has a flexible schedule in an elementary school and what sort of how are they reaching every student or teacher? How are they, they able to open up their space, but not exclude anybody, but to be very inclusive? Yeah, and also for like, and for book access too. Like, right. how, are, how are you ensuring that every kid is able to come down there and get mm-hmm. what they need? And, and like I kind of just, like I just said, like, if you're scheduling times with every class in your school to come through and do those things right. regularly, how is that different than a flexible, than a fixed schedule? Mm-hmm. And I also my other, my other question, my other concern is like, how are people like co-teaching and going and working with teachers in their classrooms and modeling things and doing all that, but also keeping their library open all the time if they don't have an assistant. So I'm not, I bring the teachers to the library. Yeah. And I do that too, a a lot too. Um, You know, if just have them come to me. It's the only way with, if you don't have an assistant, that's all you can do. Otherwise you have to close the library. Right. I think it, without assistance, and I know at the secondary level, there there's sometimes people are like, well, you could get a student to do it. And then you run into some confidentiality issues and if they're going to be able to do the, the job effectively, but it's still well, that's that difficult. All high schools are well-behaved. <laughs> it's still very difficult. I can't ask a student to not to confront a, another student who might be skipping a class. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, mean, I can't ask a student to take care of that. Right. And leave them in there alone. Right. I think, um, yeah, I mean, you bring up safety concerns yeah. um, with that. And I think that I don't think that there's a perfect solution. I think that things I've heard about are like, if you have the self-checkout stations, which I know that you've employed some of that as well. But it's, you know, there's, there's always another excuse that, that kind of comes up of, well, if you do this, then, then this. those if then scenarios are hard but if there is a librarian out there who seems to be able to to make a flexible schedule work really well and also have the time for circulation for um the whole school and serve the whole school with different programming and collaborative lessons we'd love to hear things that have worked well strategies that work well for you that's my um that that's what I'm looking for. So so the points that I had written down um, as, as far as equitable access have a lot more to do with access via um, 
I'd say economically having mm-hmm. access as well as having parental support mm-hmm. that helps students with access. So like one of the first things I was thinking about is I had a student come in this week who wanted to check out a dictionary, a big, well, relatively big college reference dictionary. And, you know, I went to go get one for her, but I'm thinking in my head, she's got a Chromebook. She could look and I'm thinking, oh, if she's coming to get a dictionary to take home, that means she doesn't have broadband at home. And, you know, so it's a reference book. I don't care. I checked it out to her because <laughs> I want her to have access. So that's the one thing with my reference books. I think we have to let them out more than sometimes we do in, at least in high school level for students who don't, even though they have one-to-one, they still don't have broadband at home. And along the lines with that, some parents, I mean, people are living hand to mouth in mm-hmm. some cases and they can't afford the electricity to charge digital devices. So I'm always big on when the kids come in the library, my outlets are open. <laughs> you know, you want to charge like your that. phone, you want to charge your device, go for it. I like that. And I think that that's something that we've talked about, um, especially in our rural communities being uh, a challenge that just because we give them a technology device doesn't mean that they're going to be able to utilize it and access the web. Yeah, because a lot of our students are, I mean, even when they are accessing the um, internet and things, if you talk to them, they're using phones Mm -hmm. or they're using tablets. So um, it might be unreliable, it might be. As a district, we've gone one-to-one and some, I believe, I could be wrong, but I believe some teachers are really um, sticklers about the kids trying to charge the devices in their classrooms, uh, you know, when they're in class. And I'm just kind of like. Right. uh, The expectation is they're coming to class prepared with a charge device. And if you are having some economic challenges at home, that might not be a possibility. It's possible, though, that we have homeless Mm -hmm. students and it's possible that we have students who have homes that actually don't have electricity Mm -hmm. and it's possible we have students who don't want to leave their chromebook just sitting around their house Mm -hmm. that's true Mm -hmm. that's another thing we we have we have kids who have people constantly in and out of their homes Mm -hmm. and that they may not feel comfortable having their device just sitting around charging out where anyone can see it. It is tricky. And I do think teachers, you know, who, who are with their kids every day and have developed those relationships that they do work with kids. Yeah. You know, teachers try to get kids what they need and on a, um, on a one-to-one basis to make sure that they're, that they're taken care of. And along those lines, you know, our district has a technology fee, which I, is totally understandable, but you're just saying teachers make sure they have what they need. Teachers pay mm-hmm. some kids technology fees. And I know that, you know, the powers that be might not want to hear that or have it happen, but it's a reality. It does mm-hmm. still. Yeah. So um, having come here from another state, in this case, Maryland, before I left, they had recently instituted a collaboration between public libraries and the public schools for access to electronic resources. So this would be the equivalent to like in NC, you have NC Live and we have NC Wise Owl. 
um, which I think is pretty cool, by the way, because Maryland did not have that many state paid databases at the school level or I think in the public library level. I think it was district or county by county, you know, was okay. paying for them. Yeah, we're um, very fortunate in what we have in North Carolina. Yes. Yeah, that is very good about North Carolina. But my problem is, I, I know that we're trying to do that in our county now, but the it's been a struggle to get it started and, and they're making it be an opt-in. And when I talked about parent support, I mean, I put out these forms every time, every time and I'm trying to get the high schoolers to bring it back. They don't understand what it is. Um, I get like three so of them. So explain it, explain it for, for somebody, oh. maybe a parent who's listening okay. and doesn't know what you're talking about. What is NCYs or? or... Yeah. Okay. So the... <laughs> y'all are going to laugh about NCYs, NC Live. <laughs> so the idea is that public libraries and public schools are all paid for by taxpayers and we all have our own databases. So the idea is that public students should automatically get access to public library electronic resources. We're not talking about going into the library and taking print stuff home. We're just talking about logging in virtually mm -hmm. and getting access to electronic resources that we are paying for. And in Maryland's case, twice, paying mm -hmm. for them at the public library level and paying for them at the school level, which the idea was to, mm -hmm. to combine these so we weren't double paying as taxpayers for all these devices. So what they ended up doing in Calvert County, Maryland, was instituting a collaboration and um, students would automatically get a public library card, and that's in virtual air quotes, <laughs> um, to electronic resources using their student ID number. Mm -hmm. So the students didn't have to have any other number. They didn't have to go into the library. They just automatically had access to it. And we as public li school librarians taught them how to use it. Um, and I thought that that was a really good thing because we could do away with our databases at the school and save a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And it got the kids into a stepping stone into a public library and using the public library. And the best part of it was students didn't have to opt in. Right. We did offer them the opportunity to opt out. Parents mm -hmm. could opt out if they want. And we had a few parents who did that, but not very many. And the problem is it's here is the program that we're trying to institute in this county mm -hmm. is the opposite. They're having students opt in. And so at least at the high school level, I'm not getting very much back from yeah. the student. Basically in North Carolina, the, so the way it works in our county right now is twice a year, we can, if, if our students opt into it, the, we provide their information to the public library and the public library uses their student number and they then have access to the to NC Cardinal. They can log into the North Carolina Kids Digital Library and borrow ebooks and audiobooks. And they can log in to any of the databases that the public library has. And in North Carolina that's called NC Live is the is the equivalent of NCY's Al, which is what public schools have. And I should point out that in Maryland, the one that they had with the public students, it would be automatic. It would end when they graduated when oh, they were okay. 18. So then they would have to go get a normal public library card. Okay. So it was only while they were students. Right. But to, but to bring it back to um, what's going on in 
in our county with students. I've actually, at the elementary school level, for the most part, if you send things home, you know, we still use the folders and all. If you send something home, it comes back. <laughs> so, you know, my school has 300 students and I, at the last upload, I had 141 students. So do your, do students have to opt in every year? That is, is what I, that is, I'm, I'm actually planning on sending an email out on Monday about that because, hey. because I want to know if my students that are in it now are set up for the rest of their K-12 experience, or if this is something I'm going to have to do every year, because I feel like that's something that we could maybe work on with the public library. Having I agree. There. I guess what the difference is, is Maryland's library consortium for public libraries was somehow more integrated because we actually had statewide, statewide library cards. So they might That's not have I been, think we need. <laughs> they weren't totally integrated, but they were working towards it. And I think that's probably what made it a lot easier because then if you moved from one place right. to the other, it wasn't such a big deal. Right. And not being a public librarian, I can't say how it works from their end. <laughs> so please, public librarians, don't be mad at me for not knowing what I'm talking about. <laughs> I feel like we are, we're going to need to get a public librarian to kind of like be our our phone a friend every so often be like give us your perspective here on this podcast issue that would be good <laughs> because I mean I think a lot of what we're trying to do in our schools is to bridge the gap between schools and public because when they graduate then we're not responsible for them and we want them to still be reading and to be productive citizens we want them to be using the public library yes we do so that's our goal we're all in this journey together so i think that um they probably also have struggles about equitable access with space and books space for sure i know in the public library if we were having programs and certain meeting rooms that you could secure and schedule that space for and what groups were allowed to schedule certain spaces you know if a tutoring group could have it or if a religious group could have it if you know something that was perceived as a hate group could have it yeah. um, you know I think that they probably have very similar conversations about um, equitable use of, of technology and things like that as well I agree So for tech today, I just recently rediscovered something. So earlier in our conversation, earlier in my, our conversation, um, I had mentioned that I taught school science before I moved to um, the library. And um, when I taught it, I used to use these online simulations. They're put out by the University of Colorado in Boulder. And the website is phet.colorado.edu. And they are, they have these interactive simulations. So there's um, math ones, science ones. Within science, there's physics ones, chemistry, earth science, biology. It's for science, yeah. Yeah. And when I used to use them a few years ago, um, I used them in middle school and a lot of them were really more focused on 
um, high school, but they really have a lot more now. They even have elementary ones that I've started using as a center. So I put it up on the smart board and students can go up there and use these simulations. So they have things like the water cycle and you can go in there and you can change different things, different variables in the water cycle and see how that affects it. They have one where you can go in there and it's called area builder. So kids can go in and figure out the area and the perimeter of different things and build different shapes to work on that. They have, and I used to use this one, the circuit construction one. So they go in and they can build a circuit and experiment Uh around with circuits and see how they work and change different things. So basically it's like science experiments online and they have so many of them. So like I said, I use it for a center in the library where the kids can go up on the interactive board and do different things. When I I taught science, if I didn't have money to get materials to do certain experiments, I could, I always knew I could come on here and they could at least get the concepts and play around with some things. We're playing around with it on mobile <laughs> right now. Yeah, they have an app now. They did not have an app. Yeah, they, they, they didn't have an app. The app, I think, does isn't free, but I think it's like 99. Everything on their website is free. <laughs> we're playing again. We're doing a color. So we're, we're shining different colored lights. Color vision or something. Yeah. <laughs> But if I do this, okay, that's what my brain is interpreting. Look at you experimenting and learning. Right? I think it'd be great. (laughs) Oh, look, now it's more purple. Right. So this is awesome for for simulations and to be able to kind of reflect, I do this and and then this happens. So they do have um, teacher submitted lesson plans. Oh, sweet. for, For a lot of them. So, or you could just make up your own. But yeah, teachers can go in and and submit activities and lessons if they want. They're available on there. Cool. Like it. So Charity has a different kind of book to share with us today. She wanted to make sure it was okay because it's not a kid's book or YA. It's not middle grades. She's got an adult book to share with us. I'm pretty sure I learned about it from an NPR podcast. Woohoo! Or at least NPR in general. I don't know if it was a podcast, but so um, to be fair, I have to say I haven't finished it. <laughs> it's a nonfiction book. It was just it just came out May of 2019. It's called Invisible Women: Data Bias in a World Designed for Men. And it's by Carolyn Perez. And I think uh, since we were talking about equity, it kind of talks about how in our world, the default is men. Mm -hmm. And so the information that we get from data is usually not right, (laughs) not (laughs) accurate for the entire population because it's the default. And I think a good example of this is when my sister was in the hospital, which is uh, UT Southwestern. Um, it's a teaching hospital. So different people were coming all in all the time. So this was this fourth year fellow and he was cu- coming in. And so he's going to be a full-fledged gynoc, gyne- on- gynecological oncologist next year, full-fledged all on his own. 
Um, and he comes in and he's talking about something and I'm sitting on the couch and I'm laughing because my feet don't fit. And he just kind of looks at me and I said, well, it's I said, it's designed for a man. And he gives me this peculiar look and I'm like, he's like, but you're not short. And I said, I'm not short for a woman, but if I were a man, I'm short. And so it doesn't fit because it was designed for men. And he just gives me this puzzled look. And I thought, if everybody would just read the introduction of this book, <laughs> you understand that the default male affects us all <laughs> for whatever reasons, it would be good. And so it has funny chapters like, can snow clearing be sexist? Um, but I thought the ones, the ones Spoiler that Spoiler alert. Is it? I would assume so. I haven't read that chapter yet. Oh, that's right. So I can't tell you. But um, the, there's a chapter called One Size Fits Men, which I think fits <laughs> totally appropriately with my couch sofa, whatever you want to say, you know, <laughs> my feet just swing out because I'm an average size woman. And the other one that the drugs don't work. Mm -hmm. and, and I thought, wow, doctors really need to know this, that most drugs are tested on men. Right. So the default man. So it's kind of like we have all, they do it because, you know, women have all this hormones and it right. just messes stuff up if they try to test them on women and like, hello. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so don't try to give it to women after. <laughs> Well, now also um, with with heart disease is one of the like you know, yeah, yeah. killers of men and women in this country, and yeah. all of the symptoms that we hear about are men. Men right. symptoms, women's symptoms of having a heart attack are very different. And they talk about that in this book mm -hmm. because women will um, a lot of women who have had heart attacks say that they felt um nauseous like they and were and, and yeah. i'm not positive i'd have to look it up but i'm pretty sure that the statistics are for a first heart attack are more women die from it than men because yeah, it goes because, on. because they don't know the symptoms because they're looking for this big pain in their well, heart that doesn't happen them, but the doctors and the nurses yeah, well, that's what don't know it either that it seems like that's why it's really scary doctors are probably trained to treat men as well like we we need to train doctors to also listen to women mm -hmm. and what they're describing and their pain you know how they, they come out with like the young readers edition <gasps> would this be great cool? for for maybe our high school or upper um, middle school to have a, a young readers edition I think it would be. We need to contact the authors. Okay. Because <laughs> I would, I think that that's really important when we talk about just women's issues and, and society in general, like what you're saying. I should contact, um, I, do you know who the author Karen Blumenthal is? She writes a lot of young adult nonfiction. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. So she lives in Dallas and she's in a book club with my sister. <laughs> Oh, wow. So I'm thinking I'm going to have to say hope. Hope. I know that she probably gets this all the time, but you need to tell her to talk to these authors and they need to make a young adult vision. Yes. yes. She could work with them. I That's just very that cool. In. That's very cool. I mean, we talk about race in, in the sense of the general defaults in America being white space. So this mm -hmm. is interesting thinking of it as general default for products, manufacturing, thinking is man thought and and they talk about it from that sense too they don't right. talk about it especially in the introduction they're not just talking about it being male they talk about these white men mm -hmm. that it is not just male it's, it's very often right white men. correct so and even straight white men if you really want yeah to. yeah not completely but 
So, you know, speak, speak, I thought it was a, a apropos since we're talking about equity and bases and access. Thank you so much for listening today. If you have any tips for us or examples of librarians who are on their equitable access game, we'd love to hear about them. Our contact information is at the end of the show. We hope you guys join us again next time when we talk about copyright issues in the school library. Let's keep the conversation going. You can follow Tech Plus Books on Twitter at techplusbooksnc. You can email us at techplusbookspod at gmail.com. And you can also leave us a message via Anchor at anchor.fm slash techplusbooks.